about Romans 12 and verse 1. We have been in a series called Altar. I want, uh, in fact, I'm sorry, go back to that. You guys are right on it, but I, I got ahead of you. I want to go back to the, to the title of this series, uh, The Altered Logo. And again, we spelled it with an A purposefully. You spell altar, A-L-T-A-R. So we're talking about altar, uh, you know, apostrophe D. What, what if, we, if you uh, spell it with an E, something's altered, uh, what does that mean? Maybe you, you, you bought a pair of slacks or pants and they were too long and you went to the alteration shop and they, they altered your pants or they took in your coat. They, they altered. It means to change, to, to, to do a small transition. But we spelled this word A-L-T-A-R apostrophe D. The focus is on the altar. When you meet Jesus Christ, He does not just make a small correction in your life. He transforms your life. How many can say amen to that? So, so I didn't hear everybody. How many can say amen that He transforms your life? Yeah, we're not just the same people we used to be. He has changed us, and He is changing us. Amen? So when you're altered, that means, listen to this, you have been transformed by supernatural encounter at the cross of Jesus Christ. Transformed by supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. Romans 12.1 has been our foundation scripture for this series. So let's go there again today and be reminded of, of what altered means. I'm talking about not just a piece of furniture in a church, not just the front of a building, but a lifestyle. Someone say lifestyle. Lifestyle. Watch this. So Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and we can say sisters, in view of God's mercy. So he says, I want to make a statement, but I want to make it in the context of the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is something I desperately need, but I do not deserve. How many are thankful for the mercy of God in your life? All right. So he says, I want to say something in the context of mercy. What I want you to do, he says, what I'm telling you, you need to look at it through the lens of the mercy of God. So considering that, how do we respond? Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that was a paradigm shift for the people of that day. For their religious ceremony of almost any kind, a sacrifice was an animal brought to an altar where the animal gave its life as a substitute for the person making the offering. A sacrifice was the death of an animal. Anything sacrificed on an altar was dead. And now in the New Testament, God's given them an, a, a, a shift, a paradigm shift, and a, a, a total new perspective. And He said, I want you to be a sacrifice, but I want you to live. I want you to be a living sacrifice. In other words, I want the altar to become your lifestyle, not just a one-time event. I don't want the altar just to be a geographical location in a church. I want it to be a mindset. I want it to be a lifestyle. When you think of the mercy of God, the normal response, God, here's my life. I'm a living sacrifice. We see this. What does that do? That's holy and what? Pleasing to God. And this is where maybe we've misnamed a lot of things we call worship. Because he says, this is your true and proper worship. This, the older NIV says, is your spiritual act of worship. So church family, let's look at this. Real worship 
is not just a song or a day or a ritual. It is the condition of a heart that says, God, here's my life. I'm, I'm living on the altar. It's not just a place I visit. It's my lifestyle. Everybody with me on that right now? What I want to teach you today is a message I believe that's going to open some things to you. It's going to help us. My message today is entitled Counterfeit, Counterfeit Altars. What in the world are counterfeit altars? So we're talking about a real altar. But let me read verse 2 before we describe a counterfeit altar. Verse 2 says, what happens as a result of verse 1? Now watch this. So he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Look at this. But be what? Transformed. That's an altar word. By what? The renewing of your mind. You know what this is saying to us? I want you to get this. Until you think differently than how you used to think before you were saved, you've not been transformed. Until the very way you look at life has changed, we've not truly had an altered experience. Now, here's what you must understand. Although we're talking about the mind, and he says, we're not transformed to my mind is renewed. Watch this. It's not an outside to the inside exercise. In other words, my mind will not be renewed by outer activity. I can't take a positive mental attitude course and do what Romans 12, 2 is talking about. The only way my mind and your mind will ever be renewed, the only way we will begin to look at ourselves differently, other people differently, God differently, the only way our mind is transformed and our life changes is that from the inside out, not from the outside in, but because you're born again and have accepted Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, God begins to change us from the inside out. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? And so there's such a transformation on the inside of us because the Spirit of God is living in us. Listen to me. God literally begins to renew your thinking and you do not look at life the way you used to look at life. How many are thankful for that possibility in your life? Somebody said to me one time, Pastor, they said, I wish that said that we're transformed by the removing of my mind. That guy said, I just need mine gone. I wish God just pulled that one out and put another one in. Well, that, to a degree, is exactly what he's talking about here. We're renewed and transformed. But what? Then what happens? Watch this. Then, see that timing word? Not before this, but after and as a consequence of that, then what? You will be able... To test and approve, that means you'll know what God's will for your life is. His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. Do you know that you can know the will of God for your life? You can begin to understand, man, this is why God put me on this planet. This is why I have this talent. This is why I have this passion. This is why this makes me cry. This is why this makes me laugh. This is why I do what I do. I found the will of God in my life. And you know what you're doing then? Living your life at the very highest level. It's a result of those things. It's a life at the altar. It's meeting God at the cross. It's understanding what Jesus came to do. And it changes everything about us. But today, we're talking about a counterfeit altar. And how do those happen? And where do they come from? Well, let's back up to Romans chapter 1. I want to show you these New Testament principles that I'm going to illustrate it in the Old Testament today, all right? Romans 1. This is really amazing. I want you to see this. We, we run over this. It, it's such an insight to the culture that we live in today. The, the, the influence of everything we're in. 
we're talking about what? Counterfeit altar. How, how do I build a counterfeit altar, Pastor? Where does that come from? Watch this. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Watch, look at this. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What a picture of today's culture. Now, we love to think of God as merciful. How many like that? God. Kind, compassionate, slow to anger, good. These things. And He is all that. Thank God. But I've noticed something. In every river that's productive and a blessing that I've ever seen, think about this beautiful Tennessee River here, there's always two banks on that river. Two sides that causes a river to do good things. So, so this river of God's grace and goodness, on one side is the, is the God we all love. Grace, mercy, patience, kindness, forgiveness. Are you with me? We, we like to walk on that side of the river, don't we? But for that river to function and not cause floods and damage, there's a bank on the opposite side. And that's what we're reading about here in this verse. Because God says, I always choose mercy first. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the grace of God that has saved us. But God says there is certain activity that grabs the attention of God and is not pleasing to God. I was reading again in Matthew and it says, that I was reading about little children. I thought about the, the horrible things we read happening to children these days. And it said that it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the depths than for you to cause one of God's little ones to sin. When, when people cause other people to stumble, it gets the attention of God. And you're not on the side of the river you want to be on. Everybody with me? That's Bible as much as grace is Bible. So, what was their offense? They are suppressing truth about God because of the wickedness in their life. Now, let's keep reading. We're talking about a counterfeit altar. How did it come? Verse 19. Watch this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Wow. The people suppressing truth. The people saying there is no God. The Bible says... That what may be known about God has been made plain to them, to every one of us. How? Let's keep reading. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. I don't have time. I've got to keep moving here. But I, I wish I could delve into this a little bit. You know, I, I have a relatively decent IQ and education. I've read the books in school and the books that school won't put out. Okay? And, and I've noticed that the last time I checked, it's still called the theory of evolution. Not the law. The theory. I've been to Washington, D.C. and walked through the Smithsonian. Have you ever been to that amazing place? I love it. It's amazing. And as I walked through the Smithsonian Institute and I've read and I've studied and, 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 and I had another career, uh, uh, 
course of study before God saved me and called me to ministry. And I've done a lot of science and study and mathematics. And I'm, I'm walking through the uh, Smithsonian and I'm looking at this thing. And, and, and I begin to notice, it's quite interesting, that uh, as I'm reading everything, that they're saying the world is... Is, the universe is billions of years old and the earth is millions upon millions of years old and everything slowly evolved from this to this and from this species to this species and slow evolution after millions of years. And the funny thing in the Smithsonian and every other place on the planet is that if it took millions and millions and millions and millions of years to evolve from this uh, species to that species, they have a real problem with that theory. Because there's no transitional life forms anywhere ever found on this planet. Now, to a logical, unbiased mind, you would have to think, if it took millions and millions and millions and millions of years to evolve from this one to that one, and there's nothing, none of them, none of the species. Now, I know I'm making some people real uncomfortable right now. Again, I'm not a caveman. I have an education. I went to college. I graduated. I'm, I, I'm not an idiot. But I have a brain. And I can think for myself. And I can read the books they tell me to read, and I can read the books they don't want me to read. By people with more degrees than the people that wrote the ones they want me to read. And God says in the Word, and that's why there's such a battle around evolution, because you better fight creation if you're not a believer in God. Because the Bible says down in the depth of your heart, when you're alone and nobody's there, you can't deny the fact that only a God could have created where we live. And the Bible says we're without excuse. We know there is a God. I'll stop there let, let, because we need to move on. So, what happened? Look at verse 21. Counterfeit altars. Here's the deal. What's a counterfeit altar? We've established in the Word... We know there's a God. The reason we deny there's a God because we don't like Him being God. We want to be God. We want to do what we want to do. And all these things have, uh, they, they come from a faulty point of beginning because the bias is to prove there's not a God instead of just find truth. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Okay, so you say, we know what's there, but we refuse it. What happened then? Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here it is. Here's how you make a counterfeit altar. And they exchanged. Oh. It wasn't blind. It wasn't, didn't know. It was an exchange. Here's something I have and I know, but I don't want it. So I'm going to take what you have and I'm going to give you what I know in exchange. So they took what was real and exchanged it for what was false and they built a counterfeit altar. And that counterfeit altar looks the same over the ages. What happened? Uh, the so what did they do? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Counterfeit altars. Creations by man. Idols. Our idols aren't formed with hands in Western, the Western civilization, but we have them. Let me illustrate it to you. Let's quickly go to, uh, you know, uh, let me just, I'm going to do a little editing here. Let's go to Exodus 31. Exodus chapter 31. I want you to turn there, please, in your Bible with me. Exodus 31. Let me set the, where we are here. In fact, go to Exodus 32, verse 1. Let's go all the way to Exodus 32, verse 1. What are we about to read? 
is the children of Israel, after 400 years in Egyptian bondage and slavery, generation after generation, maybe as many as ten generations, had worked and worked and built the pyramids and the greatness of, of Egypt and had been paid nothing. Can you imagine working for 400 years and you don't own, own anything? You have no money in the bank. You own nothing. How demeaning. 400 years, they are rescued by the mighty hand of God, led by Moses, the deliverer, as he brings them out of bondage. Just ten miraculous interventions by God rescue them. And then Pharaoh changes his mind for the tenth time and comes after them. And the Red Sea parts and they go over on dry ground and it closes in over Pharaoh. They had seen the miraculous provision of God time after time after time. And now they're free finally. And they are moving through the desert on a path to their promised land. And God says to their leader to deliver Moses, Moses, come up on this mountain with me. And I'm going to give you a plan. Stay with me. And this plan will allow you to build a tent of meeting or a tabernacle in the wilderness. And it's going to be portable. And you can take it with you. And the reason I'm going to build this tabernacle or give you the plan, listen, is so I can be in the midst of my people. I want to be close to my people. I want them to see the cloud by day and the fire in the cloud by night. I want them to know my Shekinah glory is in the tent of meeting and that I'm not running from people. I'm not hiding from people. You know, God has never run from His creation. He has sought us and come to us and wants to be near us and sent His Son to take care of our sins so we can know Him. God wants to be close to you. Moses is on the mountain. God is giving them an amazing privilege that no one had ever had. God's glory would dwell in a tent and His people could be near Him. It's stunning reversal of anything anyone had ever known. He's there for 40 days. 40 days. Not 40 years. Not 40 months. Not 40 weeks. Just 40 days. They had seen the hand of God. Moses had raised his rod in the Red Sea parts. Raised his rod and the sky goes dark. They're thirsty. He hits a rock and water comes out. They're hungry for meat and he raises his rod and quail come in. This man had delivered them. God had shown himself. And he's there for 40 days. Why? So God can be even closer to them. But what did they do? Chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, 40 days. How impatient are we? How short-sighted are we? Come on. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, his brother, the high priest, and said, Come. Make us gods. Now, in the first place, that's irrational. Because if I made it, how is it my God? I mean, the Creator is the God, not the creation. So that's pretty... I'm trying to think of a nicer word to say. That's quite unintelligent. For me to make that, make this bench and say, Oh, this is God. It's God. I should put the screws in there and cut the wood. I mean, I think if I make something, I'm it's God. 
The Creator's the God. So how irrational. Make us a God. This Moses dude, he's been up on that mountain. So come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Oh, man, what have you done for me lately? Moses, you know, well, they sure let him lead him out of slavery. They sure let him get water out of the rock. They sure let him talk to God for them. They sure were happy to have him leading around. But now all of a sudden, like, who? What's his name? Mary, Martin, Moses. Yeah. What happened to that dude? We don't know where he is. Forty days. And then they say, let's just create our own God. Guys, how do we move off of real altars and build counterfeit altars? On Romans 1, they forgot about God. They quit thanking God for who he was. They quit acknowledging all that God had done. They, they uh, like Moses, I mean, Aaron and the, the, the Israelites, what happened? They grew impatient. How many times have we built counterfeit altars because we just stopped trusting God? How many real encounters with God have we missed because we didn't want to wait? We wanted it on our time. We wanted it on our plans. We want to do it our way. And they became impatient and said, we're going to build our own altar. We're going to make our own God. We're, we're, we're going to go forward this. It, it, it is a dangerous place to begin to get there and see that. So, so, so what do we do? Let, let's, let's keep reading here. Verse 2. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him, remember this, and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a cast fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what did they do? I, I want you to understand this. What happens when we build counterfeit altars in our life? What happens when we forget the cross, the blood of Jesus, the grace and the goodness of God? We get impatient. We, you know, I, you know, I remember a young lady when we, we were having an amazing youth revival the days when I was first saved. And, 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 and the whole community, it was just amazing what was happening. And I remember a young lady that came to me and said, it's not just young ladies, young men do it too, but so happened to be a young lady that said to me, she said, you know, I, I, I want to serve the Lord and I want to do the right thing, but, you know, if I really surrender everything to the Lord, I might not have a date this weekend. You can't wait a week? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? That altar's just, that altar's got a five-day shelf life on it. I mean, it's going to go away. Let me look. See, I don't see a expires thing on here. Let me look again. No, it didn't say that. No good after, you know, March 3rd, 2018. No, it's not on there. I, 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 would, I would serve God, but God, I, mean, I can't go weekend without a day. I can't wait 40 days for that mo, me, mo. What is his name? Moses to get down off the... Mouth, and who knows who that crazy old man is anyway? He probably fell off or something. What are we waiting for? Forty days. So here's what happened. Okay, Aaron says, "Okay, bring all, bring all your gold jewelry." Now let's think about this. Where did that jewelry come from? They've been slaves for hundred years. Slaves don't wear gold earrings and gold chains and gold grills, and you know what I'm saying. <laughs> not happening in the slave quarters. So where did that come from? 
Where did it come from? Remember when they walked out of Egypt that night? And the Bible says that they asked the Egyptians for their gold, their silver, their jewelry, their clothes, and the Egyptians just... It says they plundered them. The greatest transfer of wealth from one nation to the other in the history of the human race. Millions. you got to understand this. How do I know millions and millions? Because later they used those same articles to build that tabernacle in the wilderness. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. But watch very closely. When you and I walk away from the real altar in our life, and begin to build the counterfeit altars of impatience and forgetfulness in man. You know what happens? The riches and the provision and the goodness of God, His favor that He put on your life, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we forget why God gave us what He gave us. Listen, the real businessman is not the guy that knows what he has. The real businessman is the guy that knows why he has what he has. Anybody hear what I just said? I'm going to go try it over here on this side. The real business leader. You want to be a businesswoman that is an entrepreneur and you know what time it is and what's going on. Anybody can tell me what they have, but only the real person can tell me why they have what they have. And so what happens, the devil steals your favor. The Bible says God gave them favor and they plundered the Egyptians. God gave them favor and they loaded them with multiplied hundreds of pounds of gold. And then they forget about God and they get impatient and they want to build an idol and they reach over here and grab provision and favor and throw it away. And then someone who's been worshiping at a counterfeit altar says, well, I thought God was going to take care of me and I thought I was going to have the favor of God and I thought Jehovah Jireh was my provider and he did take care of you and he did give us favor and he did provide, but we gave it away at the altar of counterfeit. And the devil ripped your favor and robbed your provision out of your life. Stole it from its original intent. See, God had given that to them to build that tabernacle and have everything that they needed. Let, let, let's look at this. Look at verse number 4 again with me. It's stunning, their statement. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. Did you know the cow or the calf was one of the most sacred idols in Egypt. Isn't it amazing that the very people that held them in bondage, the religion that killed their sons and robbed them of their dignity, as soon as they made a counterfeit altar, they began to imitate the very thing that had beaten them down into slavery. My God. Of all the things. So, so what did they Made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. Listen. Fasting with a tool. Then they said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What? You didn't even have, you didn't even make it then. This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You just made it. You've been out of that place. We become so short-sighted when we do not go back to the altar of the cross in our life that we forget what God has done for us. We forget the mercy that came to us. We have this mindset. We might start thinking, I did this. I, why you have the job you have is that the cross of Jesus Christ blessed you. Where you got the open door you have 
God gave it to you at a real altar. The job you have, the intellect you have, the family you have, the goodness of God. It's amazing to me to watch people. Jesus saves them, changes them, delivers them, sets them free. And they go make the first money of their life. And they turn away from the altar of God and walk back in the foolishness of sin. Like, I've got it now, God. People go through our recovery ministry and spend 12 months and God changes them and delivers them and heals them and sets them free. And they walk out of all that God has done and say, I got this, God. I can take care of it. And we forget we are who we are by the grace of God. Only God can do those things for our life time and time and time again. Really? That gold calf did that for you? Really, you saved yourself? You made all these good things happen? Really, did we forget what we were like the day we came to the cross? When God said to us, I am what I am by the grace of God. I, I, I bring you nothing. I have nothing to offer you, God, but your mercy. The mercy of God. We forget those things that God brings in our life. Let me show you something. This is, this is pretty uh, stout. But we need to see it. Let's look at verse 17. Well, no, I'm sorry. Let, let, let me read the rest of it. Let's go back to verse 5. When Aaron saw this, the, the, the idol, the gold idol, the calf, verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built what? An altar, counterfeit. See that? You're going to have a counterfeit altar if you're going to lie about the things of God. He built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow, look at this. There will be a festival to the Lord. Oh, to the Lord? God wasn't anywhere near that festival. You can call it a church. You can put a name on the sign. You can pull out a Bible. You can do whatever you want to do. But if it's a counterfeit altar, the Lord's not showing up that day. If it's a lie and a sham, God's not going to come. You can do anything you want to make it look good, but if the Lord's not there... It's not. So, so what do they do? So let's keep reading. So the next day, so let's see the fruit of their worship of God. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. See, they're imitating, trying to bring true worship into their counterfeit. Afterward, though, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from me. So Moses says, come on, Joshua, we've got to go down. Something's happened. And they're coming down, and here's Joshua. Look at verse 17. And so, uh, when jo- verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, Joshua, sorry to tell you, not the sound of victory, not even the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that you hear. In other words, what he said, they're not praising, they're partying down there. See, it sounded like, to the untrained ear, they're worshiping. Listen to me. But you, if you're at a counterfeit altar, all you'll ever give to God is counterfeit worship. It may sound like the song you sang last Sunday. It may look like everything just fine. But if it's a counterfeit altar, it's counterfeit worship. You can go through the motions, you can make the noise, you can make the sound, you can walk in, but if it's counterfeit altar, it's counterfeit worship. It sounds like it. And he says, they're not at war. 
They're not taking care of business. They're not defeating the enemy. They're not standing up and doing what they ought to do. They're just singing. They're partying. They're playing. They're not warring. It's kind of like, I don't want to offend anybody, but, you know, I already did the evolution thing, and I know that rocks you, so let me go ahead and dump the boat over right now, okay? So so here's the deal. It's kind of like, now, and, and video games are cool. I play, play some of them and whatever. So, okay, so we're all fine. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in that generation you stayed outside. I have a hard time sitting inside. I have a tar- hard time sitting. I have a hard time laying down. I read one day that over 95% of the people who die were laying in bed when they died. So every morning, as soon as the alarm rings, I get right up out of that bed. Cause I figure my odds are better getting out of it than laying in it. You know, so I'm, you get up. I mean, 95% are dead or being in bed when they die. I'm like, I'm out of that rascal there. He, you know, death's going to get me, going to catch me on the run. I'm not going to lay around and wait on it. How many understand what I'm talking about? So sitting is not my thing no matter what. I have to make myself sit down to eat dinner. But anyway, so, so, so here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not, don't attack your video game. But, you know, see, it sounds like war. He said, they're not doing war, they're just playing. Now, I know it's fun to play Madden because I like football, so I played Madden. But there's some people, come on, you think you're a football player. You're not. You're playing a video game. You think you're an all-star NFL linebacker. You're not. You're playing a game. I hate to have to tell you that. I got to ask some questions. Mr. All Madden, have you ever tackled anybody? Have you ever been tackled? Have you ever tackled somebody so hard their mouthpiece flew five feet down the road? Have you ever tackled somebody so hard you broke your face mask? Have you ever played in a game so cold that you didn't know you sprained your ankle until you were taking a shower after the game and your leg thawed out and you couldn't stand up? You ever done that? You think you're all mad and you're just all mama. That's the only team you're on. I know I'm just ruffling feathers, but I got you awake right now, don't I? All mad, Mr. All Madden. You've never been tackled one time. You don't even know what a football helmet is. You instant replay in slow motion. My God, if I'd have had 10 minutes, I could have completed every pass. Okay, I've got to stop that. So, so the same thing happens like this. We're having spiritual warfare. When I'm going for God, I'm going to go, well, I hope you are, but it might just be noise. Because, see, no matter, I I can sing the songs and have all the CDs and, you know, have a Christian T-shirt and WWJD and a Bible with my name on it. But if I'm at a counterfeit altar, I'm just making noise. I'm sorry it's kind of real stuff today. I'm just making noise. Somebody says, well, well, you know, I'm I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. Well, you know, I I kind of look at Paul and Silas locked in a Philippian jail, beaten and bloody, midnight, falsely accused. And he says, you know, Silas, I feel like singing. And Silas says, really? He said, yeah, come on, let's start praising God. Now, now that's not noise. That's the sound of war right there. That's the sound of victory. Anybody got me right there? When you don't feel like it. When you're standing there and you, you walk away from the grave of a person you love with all your heart. And instead of getting bitter and fighting God and making a counterfeit altar, you say, God, I thank you for every day you gave me with that person. I thank you that you were God and that you're good and that you love me. And God, I want you to know something. I'm going to stand beside that person in heaven someday. And I'm going to praise you and I'm going to bring a million people with me to the celebration. And I am going to worship God. Now, somebody's doing war in the name of the Lord and not just playing games, all right? So, let me close with this. 
See what happens. Counterfeit altars will steal the favor of God in your provision. Counterfeit altars will cause you to forget what God has done in your life. Counterfeit altars will cause you to compromise and miss it. But go to chapter 33. I want you to see this. We're going to close with this. So after all this, watch this. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Okay, all these folks have done all this crazy stuff. Made the idol. Indulged in revelry and immorality. The Lord said to Moses, Okay, Moses, now, what I didn't read here is God said, Moses, if you'll get out of the way, I'll kill all these folks. Wait, I'm going to read it. He said, you back up on that mountain, let me kill them all, we'll start over again. He said, no, 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 no. That's a good pastor. That's a good pastor. That's a man of God. God says, look, you're all right, dude, we're going to get the rest of them. No, 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 no. God, get mercy on them. So this is what God says, 33.1, watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on faith, on oath, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Now look at verse 2. I'll send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. He says, going up to the land full of milk and honey. Well, it's sounding good, isn't it? Hallelujah. We're going to get our inheritance. He's going to send an angel to defeat all our enemies. It's good. Well, look at the next sentence. But I'll not go with you. Man, I'm not going to go. God said, you can do all your stuff. And I'm going to put you in there because I'm God. I'll keep my word. It's kind of like a lot of people. They just want to go to heaven. They don't want to walk with God in life. They just want to go to heaven. You got me? He said, you're going to go to the promised land. And my angel's going to go before you. But I'm not going. He said, if I go with you, I'd kill you going. I'd kill you. Dear Lord. That's what he says right there. Because you're stiff-necked people, I might destroy you on the way. God basically said, I think I've had all I can take. <laughs> I'm going to do you a favor, me a favor. I'm leaving. I'll send the angels. Go on. That's some rough stuff, isn't it? Moses, look at this. So much to read. Let's just drop down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, Lord, these people lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name. Watch this. I know you by name. And you have found favor with me. What a place he had with God. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Look at this man of God. And then he says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, did not send us up from here. You know what he said to God? Do you understand what he said? He said, Lord, I'd rather risk dying than to go without you. God said, I'm not going. It's not because I don't love you. He said, I'm not going to go because I'm afraid with the way you guys act. You're going to die. And Moses said, your presence means so much to me. I'd rather live with the risk of death than leave and you not go with us. Hmm. How will anyone know, look at verse 16, that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know what he said? God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. You know what a counterfeit altar will do? You'll misunderstand his protection for his presence. 
We'll misunderstand what He does for who He is. We stop loving and knowing, experiencing His presence, and we just become satisfied with religion, with rights. Protect me. I don't, I don't have to know you. I don't have to talk to you. Just protect me. Just get me what I want. Get me over here, and I'll be okay with me, God. There's someone that says, God, I'm going to go to this altar, and I'm not going to leave until you go with me. I'm not going to live another day trying to be a husband until the presence of God goes with me. I'm not going to try to be a wife anymore until you go with me. I'm not going to raise my kids unless you go with me. I'm going to stop going to work without you. I'm not going to live anymore unless the presence of God goes with me. I'm going to the cross. 